Okay, uh, I'm stoked about today's message. We're going to cover some really cool stuff. Uh, but just to kind of let you get filled in here, if this is your first time, we are going through the book of Matthew, and we are going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going to cover it all, Lord willing, and, uh, but we're doing it a little bit differently because we are breaking it up into sub-series so that we can more adequately cover everything. Uh, and the series that we are in now is called Starting Point. And it's really an appropriate title for the series because this is, we're kind of covering the time when Jesus just started to commission his disciples uh, to go out and start this new kind of ministry that was based on, on grace and love instead of legalism and religion, is what they were, which is what they were used to with the Jews. Now, for the last two weeks, we discussed how the Pharisees had been blinded by legalism. See, the Jews had become so focused on keeping the rules and become so focused on their religion. Anybody ever meet somebody like that? They may not know what the Bible says, but they can tell you what the rules are at their church. You know what I mean? They had become like that. That had been like their passion was just being the rule followers and the, and the legalists. Uh, and they had gotten so distracted with that that they actually forgot the whole purpose of the law. And the purpose of the law was to point them to Jesus. So over the last couple of weeks, we talked about Jesus challenged their other lack of understanding and their application and their lack of application. So this week, though, we're going to move on to something that's I'm sure a lot of you have dealt with, and this is going to be a real serious confrontation between Jesus and the Jews, right? Because up to this point, the Jews had refused to accept that Jesus was from God. They just refused to accept that. But today we're going to see how their unbelief turned into just blatant rejection and pretty serious rejection. And we're also going to see how dangerous it is when we are constantly rejecting the Holy Spirit. It's one of those things that... that, that I think it's going to be really important that we cover. And we're going to cover something that I know a lot of people has talked about, probably a lot of people are confused about. How many people have ever heard of blasphemy? Raise your hands. Good. How many people have ever heard of the unforgivable sin? Okay, good. There are a ton of different interpretations here that you hear from people, but there's actually only one that the Bible will support, and that's what we're going to cover today. It's really not as confusing uh, as you think, but we're going to cover that. Now, the title of today's message is The Hardened Heart. Okay, now, listen, I mean, the heart can be the path to eternal life. And when I say the heart, I mean the mind can be the path to eternal life, or it can also be an instrument of eternal destruction, and, and we'll explain that as we go on. So let's jump in. That's about as quick as I can get you caught up. Okay, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. It says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from who? From Satan, the prince of demons. Okay, it's getting serious up in here now. Okay, this is a major accusation. So once again, we see that Jesus is doing something good. I mean, he's helping a demon-possessed man be set free. He's actually doing something really good. And yet, once again, the legalists, the, the, the Jewish leaders, come up and start criticizing him for it. And what this boils down to is the Jews had strayed so far from God over the years. I mean, that so far from God that they couldn't even recognize God's works anymore. They couldn't recognize when God was working right in their present. They couldn't recognize God's spirit among them anymore. And sadly, their hearts just, just started to harden toward God and toward the movement of His Spirit. Now, the reason that happened was because they had focused too much on legalism, right? Now, here's the thing. See, legalism and religion make people focus too much on rules and not enough on God. You know what I mean? I mean, 
you just know what the church wants and it's all about the church and it's all you know and and it drives me crazy hey listen i love church but i don't want church to be your mission i want serving god to be your mission you know and it's so easy to get distracted and it's really easy to look righteous when you are a legalist or when you are you know the big rule follower the religious person because it's easy to look righteous when the standard you're trying to live up to is man-made right i mean there are people out there who think they're righteous because they do the four things the church tells them to do so they feel righteous because that's an easy standard to meet it's a man-made standard but make no mistake religion and legalism are man-made they are not the standards of god they are the standards of man so these jews all of a sudden you can see how far they're drifting because they make a super harsh i mean super harsh accusation and this accusation really reveals that more than just a simple rejection is going on here for jesus because they went as far as to actually say that the work that jesus did the work that god and that god sent him here to do setting a demon-possessed man free something only god can do they went as far as to say that he got that ability from satan instead of from god Right? So not only are they blind to God's work, now they're saying that the work of God is evil. Okay, so this is a, I mean, a serious, serious accusation. Now, I love, love, love how Jesus responds to this. Because you would think that when someone just called the Son of God a third part of the Trinity, I mean, the, the creative influence in the Trinity, uh, the only Redeemer called him an empowered person from Satan, you would think he might go off a little bit, right? And justifiably so. But listen to what he does here. Matthew 12, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against what? Himself. His own kingdom will not survive. So Jesus answers them with just basic, simple logic. And I think this is funny because, to be honest with you, this had to make them feel stupid, right? I mean, just simple logic. He says, hold on a minute. If I am casting out demons because I'm working for Satan, if that's what's going on, why would I cast out my own agents of evil if i were working for satan why would i be casting out satan's other agents why would i do that why would i actually work against myself that would be like satan opposing himself weakening himself casting out himself how would that help his cause how would it help his cause to cast out his own evil agents and i mean when he said that can you imagine they're kind of going you know what i mean <laughs> that he's got a good point i'm not going to say that you notice they don't reply because he had a great point he's saying that's stupid why would i knock my own team off the plane off the playing field that makes no sense and then he says something else he says listen when a town when a church when a family no matter what it is when they start to battle themselves they are doomed they're doomed because that infighting will destroy them now, I'll be honest with you, I still see this kind of thing going on today, and I'm going to run a little rabbit about it, okay? 
because here comes my rant. You ready? I see this all the time. I see it when churches work against each other. Can somebody explain that to me? Why would that be? I mean, churches talking bad about each other, trying to convince people not to go to the other one, trying to talk bad about the people that go to each other. I'm like going, uh, can you explain something to me? Last I checked, we're all on the same team here. And if you defame the name of another believer, you could hurt the, the influence that person has with someone else. You are fighting against our own team. Why would churches fight against each other? That's a house divided. That means that we're dooming ourselves, right? I mean, this drives me crazy. Or how about this? When believers start fighting with each other and arguing with each other and excluding each other, that makes no sense. Listen, anybody here that's ever coached sports, you can have the most talented team in the universe, and if they are divided, they will fall apart. They will not win, right? Because that infighting will destroy a team, right? And that's, I've seen believers bickering and fighting amongst each other, and I'm going, do you realize that the world is watching you, and you're trying to tell them about the grace and love of God and the mercy of God, and then the next thing out of your mouth is, I can't stand that church. I can't stand that Christian. <laughs> and they're going, you know what? I don't think I need that. I get enough of that without Jesus. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't understand. It's, it, it's a house divided, especially when they attend the same church. Anybody here ever heard of a church split? Raise your hand if you've heard of a church split. It, that breaks my heart when I hear about that. Because churches split because people fighting amongst each other. When that happens, it just tells me the focus isn't on God anymore. When they're fighting among each other. And, and it makes me actually understand why so many pastors leave the ministry discouraged. At one time, I don't know the current numbers, but at one time, the average pastor, it was like five to six years. Yeah, you guys have had me for 20, and I ain't going nowhere, so I'm just saying, sorry. 20, I started when I was 11. I'm 31. <laughs> but no, just kidding. But anyway, a lot of pastors just leave the ministry discouraged, and I understand why. Because no matter what they do, their churches are either attacking them or attacking each other. And after a while, they go, man, you know what? <laughs> I did not sign up to be a referee. I did not sign up to keep Christians from talking about and fighting against each other, and they just give up, and then the devil wins. You know, you'd be shocked how many people waste their time attacking me. Everything I do, I mean, literally everything I do, someone out there is talking about how what a terrible man I am. You know, it doesn't really bother me, because I have this thing that goes through me that's a big I don't care vein that pumps freely. And they're going, do you know what so-and-so said about you? And I'm like, who cares? At least they're not talking about you, right? Doesn't matter to me. I'm not out here to please them. You know, as long as God is pleased with me, they can say whatever they want. But people waste their time attacking each other, attacking the pastor. And, and what cracks me up about this is that people ask me, why is it that this happens in churches? Because aren't we supposed to be fighting against the devil and his system? And the world system that's fighting back against us, isn't that our enemy? Isn't, isn't the devil our enemy? Last I checked, not each other. But he's deceiving us and getting us distracted. And the reason that we get sucked into that is the same reason the Jewish leaders did. Listen, they loved power. Power can be intoxicating in the wrong hands. You ever met that person that was the greatest person you ever met until they got a position of power? And then they turn into Barney Fife overnight. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know what I mean? They're just a simple guy. They become the manager of a shift at McDonald's. The next thing you know, in comes Adolf Hitler. You know? Christians sometimes desire power. Here's another thing. That's what the Jews desired. They desired position. They love for people to say, oh, you're a Pharisee. You ever notice they're always saying that? Well, I'm a Pharisee. Not I'm a child of God. Not I'm from the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. It was, I'm a Pharisee. Or I'm a Sadducee, or I'm a whatever, you know. They like that position. They like the, the, the respect that that position commands, and they want to be looked up to, right? It's about them. Same thing happens today. I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. Or prominence. There was a lot of prominence with being in the Jew or, you know, the upper salon of the Jews, and, and they loved it. They loved having people look at them as righteous and, and give them respect. And to be honest with you, they loved profit because people gave them stuff. They got deals, you know what I mean? They had a lot of people in their pockets. I mean, I'll be honest with you, they liked those four things. See, the Jews liked being looked up to as moral and spiritual authorities. They, they love that. And when Jesus came along, they're like, we are not willing to give all that up to some carpenter's son. I don't care if he is healing people and feeding thousands and casting out demons. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the condition that they were in. And I've seen those same things destroy churches today, make churches start infighting. It blows me away. I've seen assistant pastors that want to be the pastor because they think he's got more clout, he's got more authority, he's got, you know what I mean? And so they start working behind his back and demeaning him and doing all these other things. And, and, if, they, and if their plan works, then they become pastor and they find out something. That's a job they didn't want, right? Because if you're not called to do it, you're not going to enjoy it. Right? They aren't staying within their calling. That, believe it or not, I've seen people who were good servants of God, who God was using them in such a powerful way, and all of a sudden the enemy creeps in and says, yeah, but you don't have a title. You don't have a title. You need to be a leader, not a servant. And so the bickering starts, and the, you know, and the politics start, and the next thing you know, they get a position of leadership and find out, guess what? It stinks being in leadership if you're not called to be in leadership. You ever notice how many people here have been in management? Don't you love it when people go, well, I would want to have it easy like the managers. And you look at them and go, come get it. You know what I mean? Come and get it. Right? And same thing, I've even seen singers who came into a praise team, not this one. So don't be emailing me, emailing me and saying, oh, is it me? If you're asking, it is. But anyway, <laughs> I've seen people that are great singers that do a great job in the praise team. And all of a sudden they go, I think I could be the worship leader. And here's Nate going, come get it. You know, it's just, it's that same thing. The enemy comes in and gets you distracted and makes you desire power and, and tries to distract you from what your real purpose is, serving God and gets you infighting. And the next thing you know, we just end up being split and divided and it all falls apart. Can you, can you just imagine what the world would be like if believers just accepted the calling God gave them, put all their passion into whatever their calling is, whether it's praying for people, encouraging people, serving people, leading people, whatever it is, if they just were impassioned by it, focused on their own calling, and worked together with everyone else in their calling, we would be like this big God-driven locomotive picking up passengers and hauling them to heaven every day. That's what we'd be like if we would just work within and accept our own callings. But what's happened, instead of being this God-driven locomotive, we've become kind of a train wreck. Because... The enemy creeps in and gets us fighting against ourselves, and a house divided cannot stand. And it was that attitude 
that had the Jews in the spiritual condition they were in, that had them so distracted they couldn't even recognize God right in front of them. So moving on, I mean, after responding to their accusation, he comes up with a question for them. And this is an amazing question. I love how brilliant this is. Matthew 12, verse 27. And Jesus says, And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. I think this is really funny because there were exorcists in the Jewish religion that claimed to have the power to cast out demons, right? And the Jews, because they were Jews that were claiming to be exorcists, they accepted them and said they were from God, even if they couldn't successfully do what they claimed to do. And Jesus goes, let me get this straight. So everybody that's casting out demons is working for Satan. Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you have people that cast out demons? So that must mean that they work for Satan. Oh, they're going to be mad at you. That's what he said. And can you imagine they're just, all of a sudden they're going, well, we stepped in that one. Right? We shoved our, our foot in our mouth on that one. And I, and I just think, it, I think it's ironic because the Jewish exorcists of that day were not that successful. Okay, they made more accusation than they got results. And you'll see it all the way through the New Testament. And I'm going to give you an example of that during the Apostle Paul's ministry, how the Jews, the Jews tried to be exorcists. And remember, these people were getting the support of the Jews. Listen to this, Acts chapter 19. I crack up every time I read this. So if I start laughing, just, you know, do like you normally do and excuse me, okay? Matthew 19, 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out. But also some of the what? Jewish exorcists. Okay, they were still existing. Who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. (laughs) Think about this. They're like, that's it. That's the magic word. That's the abracadabra. Just use this Jesus name. I don't serve him, I don't believe in him, but hey, if I throw his name around, maybe demons will start running, right? So they start casting, trying to cast out demons, and they go, I adjure you to come out by the name of Jesus, who that guy's talking about, right? Now, here's where it gets good. The plot thickens, okay? Verse 14, seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> I, I'm going to share my weird mind with you for a second here. I've watched too many movies. I can just see him walking in, and there's this, you know, you know, this demon-possessed guy throwing stuff and speaking in Aramaic and stuff, you know what I mean? And he walks in and says, I drew you by Jesus whom Paul preaches, and I see him stop in his head, turn in a full circle <laughs> a couple times and stop and look at him and go, I know Jesus. The head spins again. I know Paul. Who the heck are you? Right? And then all that weird music comes in. (laughs) All right. Now, verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit (laughs) leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. And here's where it gets good. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. (laughs) 
Can you just see the Apostle Paul just dying laughing over at the side? They're going, help. He's going, no, you got this. Run your naked butts right back in there. This demon not only called him out, but whipped all seven of them and sent them out of the house butt naked. I, just, I don't know why I'm talking about this. I just think it's funny as heck. But this is the, I mean, these were the kind of charlatans that the Jews would probably back because they were Jews. But the Son of God is working right in front of them, and they won't accept him because he doesn't line up with their religious or legalistic beliefs. Right now, what Jesus says next, I mean, I love this because even if it's just for a second, what he said next had to make them think. And one thing you'll notice about Jesus, and we could learn a lesson from him, is that when he's being under, you know, being attacked or, or, or is under attack, he doesn't respond with violence. He doesn't respond by boycotting everybody, because Christians love to boycott. I think we have, you know, like stock and sign companies. You know, he doesn't do any of that. He comes back to them with logic and the word of God. Every time, I love this. All right, let's, let's look at this. Matthew 12, 28. He said, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, remember he just said, right, he was just talking to them, and he says, why would I be from the devil if I'm casting out the devil? That's stupid. There's option one. Option two, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. This had to make them hit the brakes for a second. Because he just made a great point. He said, I really can't be from the devil because he wouldn't kick out his own people. And if I'm not from the devil, that leaves one choice. If I'm not from the devil, then the Messiah is standing in front of you. Right? Verse 29. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone what? Even stronger. Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Man, I I love this. He basically said, if I'm not from Satan, then I'm from God. And you're in trouble. Because you're rejecting God's only Messiah. And he says, think about this for a second. Only someone who is stronger than Satan can bind Satan. When he says the strongman illustration, the strongman he's talking about is Satan. Because outside of the Godhead, the next most powerful being is Satan. And he's saying... The only way the strong man can be bound is if someone is stronger. And there is only one who is stronger than the devil. And that would be God, Jesus. We'll take them both. Right? So he's saying, and if God is the only one stronger than Satan, the only one who is capable of casting him out, and I just cast him out, then you have to say, that I am God. I love this. This is awesome. Cause I, I mean, can you imagine what they felt like? He has just tied them in knots with just his words. He just tied them in knots. Notice none of them even replied because what the heck are they going to say? I mean, he nailed it down. Okay, now, now he goes into another subject. And this is a hot one. It was a hot one then, it's, believe it or not, it's still a hot one now, and it really shouldn't be a hot one. I'll explain that here in a minute. 
Remember we talked earlier about blasphemy or the unforgivable sin? We should have scary music play after I say that. Right? Because so many people have been freaked out by this unforgivable sin, and, and it's just way off base. I think a lot of times people say, well, I believe it's this, you believe it's that, everybody has their own interpretation. The Bible actually says you can't do that. Okay? There is a correct interpretation. When you find it and understand it, it will bless you. But when people say, you have your way, I have mine, that's a way of saying I'm wrong and I don't want to admit it. That's what it is. Okay, so we're going to take a look at this and see what it really says. Matthew 12, 30. Jesus said, anyone who isn't with me, what? Opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Pretty simple, right? So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will what? Never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, he's saying, anybody who speaks against me, he says, can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will what? Never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. So let's start out simple. Jesus started by reminding him that there was never and there never will be a gray area with God. It doesn't exist. There's black and white with God. There's his way and everything else. All right, there's no gray areas. Gray areas are what we create. People say, you got to read between the lines. Well, if you do that, it's just white paper. I'm just going to tell you. Okay, there's no gray area with God. He says you're either for him or you're against him. You're either on his side or you're on the other side. And I've had people come to me who are unbelievers and they go, well, listen, I mean, I haven't trusted Christ yet, but, but I don't think I'm batting for the other team. And I'm like, is there a third team? You know, because if you're not working for him, drawing people to Christ, you're working the other side and pushing people away. I mean, it's just, hey, he wrote it, email the Lord, because, you know, it's him, right? So there really is no middle ground. I've had people say, well, I kind of believe. <laughs> you can't kind of believe. The word believe means to be convinced of. To be convinced of. It doesn't mean I kind of think so. Right? You cannot kind of believe. Kind of believing is like being kind of pregnant. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> you are or you are not. Right? There's no middle ground. So he made it simple. He says you're either bringing them in or you're pushing them away. And the Jews were pushing them away with their legalism, with their religion. Have you ever been pushed away from church or from God at one point in your life because of legalism and religion? You walk in, people don't want you to wear a hat in church or jeans in church. You know, we're strict about that. People don't want you to listen to certain kinds of music. They don't, you know, all this dumb stuff that means nothing. They worry about your hairstyle or if you have tattoos or any of that. You know what? Get a life. Here's our requirements. Do you want to hear about Jesus? You're in. Okay, so there's no middle ground here, right? You're either bringing people in or you're pushing them away. And if you're not loving like Jesus, you're pushing people away like the Pharisees. It's just, it's just the way it is. So he made it simple. I made it very simple for him, right? Now, he moves on to the big topic. And the funny thing is, it's not really what everybody thinks it is. This is just a warning. If you watch when we read through this, he never even says that they completely committed it. Everybody automatically thinks that Jesus said, all you guys committed blasphemy. He didn't say that. In any translation, it does not say they committed it. He warns them about what happens if you do. Okay, and that, that shocks everybody, but look it over. He was warning them. 
and I'll, I'll talk about that here in just a minute. So here comes the big one. Man, we really need scary music. Okay, first let's define what blasphemy actually means, because there are so many people with so many dumb definitions of blasphemy. Right? Somebody says a bad word. Blasphemy! That is that's not blasphemy. Right? Personally, I think if you like the ravens, it's blasphemy. Just throwing it out there. But that's not the definition either. If you like New England, it is serious blasphemy. That one won't be forgiven. No, I'm just kidding. No, but the, the real the real definition of blasphemy from the greek it's the word blasphemia is the greek word and it means to revile defame or slander that's what it means i don't know where all the other definitions come from that's what it means to blaspheme something is to revile it to defame it or to slander it okay and jesus said that blaspheming the holy spirit will not be forgiven now does it ever bother anybody that in the new testament jesus says whosoever will let him come, and I will in no way cast them out. Anyone who believes will have eternal life. And then you read, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. And you go, what the heck? It sounds like a contradiction. Anybody think that? Let's take a look at that. Because he said, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it won't be forgiven. Okay, first, let me explain what blasphemy does not mean. And some of these you may have heard. How many people have heard that when you use God's name in vain, you've committed blasphemy? Anybody ever hear that one? Yeah, nowhere in the Bible. It's not in there. How about this one? If you fail to believe or believe and stop believing, you've committed blasphemy. Anybody hear that one? Yeah, there's a word for that. Wrong. How about this? Devil worshiping. If you start worshiping the devil, that's blasphemy. Anybody ever hear that? (laughs) <laughs> They're going, nope, just you, weirdo. <laughs> it's not, it, it, that's, that's, that's not blasphemy. It's not what it means. We come up with this weird stuff to scare people with as, as Christians uh, and make up our own definitions. I mean, none of those things are blasphemy. Here's what it meant then, and here's what it still means now. Now, I want you to understand, the kind of blasphemy that could be committed at this time could not be committed now. Because they could literally see God in the flesh, God the Son, working with the power of the Holy Spirit, doing things that their eyes could witness. So that kind of blasphemy we can't do. That's gone, I mean, it doesn't happen anymore. But let me move on. That being said, let me move on. Okay? The Jews that Jesus were, you know, was talking to attributed the work of God to Satan. Okay, they attributed the work of God to Satan, despite the fact that they witnessed his healing power. I mean, they saw it. They still said that he got that from the devil. See, what had happened is they had gotten so far from God, they were becoming hardened in their hearts. Becoming. Remember, he never actually said they committed it. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. He doesn't say. But they were becoming hard in their hearts. They could barely hear the call or the moving of the Holy Spirit anymore. They were so driven by religion, they were so driven by a desire to be worshipped by men and be looked up to by men that they, could, they couldn't see or follow the Holy Spirit hardly at all, if at all. But here's the problem. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity that His job is to reveal to people who Jesus is so that they can believe in Jesus and have eternal life. So the Holy Spirit is the only avenue to understanding who Jesus is. 
And we've all felt the Spirit work within us, whether we want to admit it or not. Right? Have you ever just felt that tug in your heart from God? You ever felt that? Even when I was a drug addict and a drunk, there were times when I was alone, and the, the words that my father had spoken to me, warning me growing up, would roll through my mind, and I could feel this tug. Like, what you're doing isn't right. You could die. I, I could feel that. See, it's the Holy Spirit's job to call to you and reveal to you who Jesus is so that you can believe. Okay, that, that is the Holy Spirit's job. And they had gotten so hardened they couldn't hardly feel the Spirit anymore. So there are two dangers that he's warning them about. First of all, if you allow yourself to get so hard that you can no longer hear the Holy Spirit, that you are deaf to it, you are numb to it, then you have committed blasphemy. Meaning, you have slandered the name of Him to the point that you no longer have a desire to believe. You no longer feel, and the devil will take you there if you allow him to. Now, does it still happen? I, I don't know, man. Didn't happen to me, praise God. You know, all I'm saying is if you were to slander in your mind and just get done with him to where you couldn't even feel him. Listen, believers, let's not get all self-righteous because I can't stand churchy, self-righteous believers. Let's be honest. There's been times when you found yourself getting hard to the spirit as a believer. You don't have empathy for people anymore. You don't recognize when God is moving in your life anymore. No longer do you say praise God when something good happens to you. You're like, wow, I was lucky. You almost get in an accident and you call yourself lucky instead of thank you, God, for putting your arms around me and keeping me safe. You say, God never does anything big in my life, and you look at your two beautiful, healthy children, your five beautiful, healthy children, or however many Nate has. <laughs> Just kidding. God's never done anything big for me. Oh, yeah, except all those healthy children and your health and the food on your table. And the we, we get numb to that. That's scary because that's... Believers, listen, we can't lose our salvation, but we can get hard to the Spirit. You ever met that believer that's hard to the Spirit? Usually they're a legalist. Just throwing it out there. Another sermon. Let me keep moving. So this is the first thing he's warning them about. If you get to the point where you can say that the work of God is from the devil, if you're there, you are very close, if not, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You saw it. This is what he was telling them first. Right? This is the first danger. Right? The second danger was if you continually reject the Spirit, defame it, slander it, which is exactly what they were doing at every turn, there will come a time, the Bible says, there will come a time when He will even laugh when your calamities come upon you. You know what that means? There will come a time when the Spirit says, I'm done. And people go, well, has God given up on them? No. See, God has this thing called omniscience. He knows everything. Right? And he knows that that person will never believe. You ever wonder why he hardened Pharaoh's heart? People go, why did he do that? He doomed him. No, he didn't. He looked and saw that Pharaoh's heart was in the hardening process and was going to be stone hard and was never going to believe. So he used him to accomplish his will. The Spirit knows if you are never going to believe. The Spirit knows if you are going to harden your heart, and he'll just stop. Those are the conditions of blasphemy that he was talking about. Now, People ask me, can that still happen today? I mean, I guess. I, you know, all I know is, 
as long as you desire him, he will take you. And we'll leave it at that. Because we can prove that, right? Any moment, I don't care if you're a serial killer. And if you are and you want to talk about it, Nate Mosley at GCCKenneville.com. <laughs> but I don't care what you've done. If one moment of your life says, I need Jesus and is willing to call on him, he'll take you. So how hard do you have to get to not want that? I don't know, but I guess by definition, there it'd be. Right? But it is not something you do on accident. It's not something you do unknowingly. Oh, I haven't gone to church for a month and I said some bad words. I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Here's the other thing. Christians, this has nothing to do with you. If you are a believer, don't even worry about this. It ain't talking to you. You're reading somebody else's mail. Because John 6, 47, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes what? Has eternal life. Does it say is getting eternal life? Does it say is working on eternal life? Does it say put eternal life on layaway? It says he who believes what? Has, possesses, is in possession of eternal life. And eternal means forever. And if it's not eternal, God's a liar. I ain't going there, are you? So this is not talking to you. Believers cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit to the unforgivable sin. It cannot happen to you. Now, that being said, I'm going to close with this. As believers, you can't harden your heart to God. And you've got to really be careful. Because if you get to the point, like I said earlier, where you can't empathize with people, you can't sympathize with people, you can't feel the Spirit of God moving, you can't receive a blessing and know it is a blessing, have that tear roll down your face every once in a while when you hear the praise song that just touches you. Anybody else here have that? Please tell me I'm not the only one crying at a stoplight. Come on, get those hands up. <laughs> don't, don't, Jake, don't yank my man card. Right? Or where you, where you look at someone in another country that's starving and needs to hear about Jesus and your heart hurts for him a little bit. If you get to the point where all you care about is you, yes, you're still going to heaven, but you are in line for God's discipline. And it, the, your life on the way there isn't going to be that good. Because people always tell me, you teach that you can never lose your salvation. I say, yes, I do, proudly, and the Bible will back it. And they go, then you teach you can do whatever you want. And they always freak out when they hear my answer. I go, go ahead. They say, what do you mean? Are you condoning sin? No, I'm telling you, go ahead and do whatever you want. And they say, why? I say, because if you're one of his, good luck getting away with it. How are you going to hide it? Anybody here ever been to the spiritual woodshed? <laughs> I've spent a lot of time there. This might shock you. But redheads potentially have tempers sometimes. Sometimes we even say things we wish we hadn't. Okay, often we say things we wish we hadn't. Right? And when I go too far or cross the line, nobody has to come up to me and go, I just noticed you crossed the line, Pastor Chris. Nobody has to do that. Because right in here, you know what I'm talking about, people? Where you're like, Yeah! you're on your way home and you hear the spirit going you shouldn't have done that and you're going i was right don't talk to me <laughs> then you're home that night watching tv and it comes to your mind you really shouldn't have said that turn the tv off <laughs> then you go to bed and you go to lay your head down thunk like a block and god's going really really and there goes the woodshed and i usually end up making that phone call i'm sorry i want to sleep you know what i mean <laughs> And I don't want to scare you, but this probably will, so maybe I do. But the discipline of God can start with just not feeling assurance anymore. 
feeling like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And we find in the scriptures that if you refuse to submit to him and continually, continually stay in a state of discipline, he can even take your life. Will he take your eternal life? No. But he can take your life. He can say, enough. I'm not going to let you do any more damage. People go, how far does that have to go? Why are you asking? How <laughs> got this? Just stop at the beginning, then you'll never find out. How's that? But this is, this is, I just want to make sure before I close this message, I know we talked about all this, and I want you to understand what that is, but I also want you to understand, just because you're safe from the unforgivable sin doesn't mean you're safe from sin, and, and it still destroys you, and it can make you ineffective with the people you love and the people that you want to lead to Christ. So be careful not to allow yourself to be hard. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time here, I always like to give an invitation. I say that every week because every week I really like to give an invitation. And the reason is, is I remember when I was sitting in the pews at the church I was at. It was actually chairs. And this pastor who didn't know me from another state says, if you know, if you are not sure where you stand with Christ, just lift your hand. And I wanted to lift my hand, but my arm felt like it weighed 2,000 pounds. And somehow I got that up there. And the, after I acknowledged the fact that I needed Jesus, you know, the funny thing was, was the Holy Spirit telling me to lift my hand. And it was the Holy Spirit that didn't leave me alone after that. He's saying, now you admitted it. You know, and I just want to give you that opportunity so every head's bowed and every eye's closed. If you'd like me to pray for you, and we are not one of those churches that's going to call you down front or trick you or try to chase you down after church or email you or send you flyers. I, legit, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to remember that face and pray for you because I've been you. And the difference between me and you is the grace of God. Certainly not that I'm any better. But if you would like me to pray for you because you're not sure where you stand with Christ, just make eye contact and put your head right back down. Bless those people. Or slip your hand up and put it back down, whatever. Bless those people. Bless those people. I'm not going to point you out. But I do want to pray for you because I know the Spirit is whispering in your ear. Bless those people. Bless those people. Listen, believers, I'm going to pray for us too because I really am afraid with everything that's going on and all the distractions we carry around in our pocket or purses, that it's really easy to become distracted and hard to God. I'm going to pray for us too. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your grace. Every week, I, every day, I thank you because I'm, I'm just still amazed that you could have mercy on someone like me. Every day I prove why we need Jesus because no matter how hard I try, I continually make mistakes. I'm the perfect example of why all humanity needed a savior because no matter what I say, no matter how hard I try, I am always imperfect. And I'm so thankful that I am promised heaven not because of what I've done, but because I've believed in what you've done. And I just pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you, God, we know we're no better than them. We're all in the same boat. The difference is grace. You promised that anyone who would believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, you promised them that they would have it. I just want whatever's holding them back to be moved out of the way, and I want them to just accept that gift. And if they make that decision today, they can contact us, email us, call us, whatever, because we want to embrace them and walk with them in their journey. And if they're watching online or listening online and they're a long way from here, I just pray that they find a good Christian friend or a good Christian organization and they reach out to them about their decision because... We are not intended to do this journey alone. And God, for all of, all of us who already know you, please don't let us get hard. Please don't let our hearts start to 
become these hard shells that are not receptive to the moving of your spirit. We want, we want to feel what others feel. We want to love people like you love them. We want to empathize and sympathize with people. Just please let us remember that we're here to reach and love people and a hard heart can't do that. We just pray when we do start to go that route that you discipline us immediately so we'll turn from it. We pray, God, as we leave here that you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And we pray that if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, that we would come together with a heart of worship, ready to give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.